The scripture this morning comes from the letter of Paul to Philemon, beginning in verse 8, ending in 16. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So last week, we began a series through the book of uh, this tiny little letter called Philemon. And in this tiny letter of Philemon, let me just remind you of what is happening. And as it connects to what Nelson is sharing and Life Group's launch, our fall semester this week, super exciting week in the life of our church and in your lives personally, I know. Uh, Philemon uh, is a gentleman that Paul met uh, most likely in Ephesus shared the gospel with him, and he came to faith in Jesus under Paul's ministry. And then there is another meeting, which will come into full view today uh, through the sermon. And in this second meeting that's coming into full view, we see God take and connect three three folks together in a way that only God can. So let me leave that there, and then let me, as uh, uh, let's just let this unfold and see how God works in and through Philemon's story. Last week, I also shared with you this word in the Greek called koinonia, and it is the word fellowship, and it means to share something in common. You uh, kind of, you rally around one common denominator or a common reality. And so from uh, this uh, section in Philemon today, we learn three realities of fellowship. And the first is that fellowship appeals rather than asserts. Fellowship appeals rather than asserts. Paul writes now, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, Philemon, to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. What is Paul appealing to or appealing about? It is the man Onesimus that he met in his imprisonment. Onesimus is a slave. Philemon is his owner. And uh, Onesimus and Paul met and established a friendship. And Paul is writing to Philemon to ask Philemon to take Onesimus back. And as he does, not to do so in a punishing kind of way. And Paul says here, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, 
on what basis could Paul command Philemon? I know this seems foreign in our more equalized culture, uh, less authoritarian, uh, authoritarian culture, but Paul as an apostle could easily have commanded Philemon to do what he wanted him to do. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He refused to do that. Why? He says, for love's sake. For love's sake. Remember last week we described love for one another and faith in Jesus as the source of Christian fellowship. We come in here into this place and sing the songs of God and we rally around a love for one another. Paul is so bound to this principle of interacting based on brothers and sisters and in Christ that he refuses to command. Rather, he appeals Fellowship appeals rather than asserts. Let's apply this to marriage. In marriage, love must reign supreme. More often than not, as I counsel couples, I'll tell them this phrase, and if they are not in a good place, they find it to be surprising every time. And here is the phrase, being right is not all it's cracked up to be. All right, somebody said amen. Being right is not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, If you get hung up on being right every time, that attitude or that desire or that compulsion to be right every time is actually rooted in pride. It is rooted in egocentrism. And if you get hung up on being right every time, what will happen is the love in your marriage will take a beating And when it does, the result of that, the result of that mentality and that attitude will end up driving out love from your marriage. You see, a a, a Christian couple is to be the epicenter of Christian fellowship. There ought to be, must be something different about a Christian marriage because not only is it based on uh, love for one another. Wendy and I were at a wedding yesterday evening and when the, the bride walked down the aisle, the groom just wept and there's this love that they have for one another. But there's also at the center of a Christian marriage the reality that that husband and wife uh, to be are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is at the center. So fellowship appeals rather than asserts If you question the supremacy of love in your life group, if you question the supremacy of love in this local church, if you question the supremacy of love in the church with the big C all over the world, listen to Paul's words to the Corinthians. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if I have this resonant voice, I don't know if there's a drumstick back here. I'm looking to see. Uh, I think Caleb must have taken him with him, but here's a cymbal, all right? So this is just that. It's not very appealing, is it? Unless somebody knows what they're doing and they play that thing. Paul says, if I have this eloquent voice, but, and I say, articulate words, and they are absent love, it equals 
that. You can be smart. You can be right. But if you're not loving, it's just a loud noise. An obnoxious intrusion. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what, does he say? Nothing. Some of us do not believe this. We will trade all day, every day, our theological position for love. We will trade all day, every day, our political persuasion for love. We will trade all day, every day, our preferences for love. And Paul writes here, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Do we believe that, church? Do we believe that love is that supreme, that love is that vital? Do we believe that? If a church embraces this, does not mean that the church will capitulate. It does not mean that the church will abandon its beliefs. It simply means that the church continues to be the church with its beliefs intact, but those beliefs are always communicated with love. I would ask you, what have you done this week for love's sake in your marriage? For your mom, your dad, teenagers in the room, what have you done for love's sake? Not just so you can get something from them, but give something to them. What have you done for love's sake for your kids, for a total stranger? For someone who may be erring, who needs truth spoken in love to bring them back, have you and will you step into that moment for love's sake? Speak truth. And love goes both ways. Don't miss how Paul describes himself. He says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus Paul was probably around 60 years old when he writes this. And the average lifespan in his day was 50. He has lived 10 years beyond the average. Think of someone today in their mid-80s, chained to a prisoner, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Paul's honest description of himself shows the love that he has for Philemon to whom he writes and that he can be honest about his situation. But the relational language continues. I appeal to you, he says, for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he indeed is useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. 
listen to the word. He says, I appeal to you on behalf of Onesimus, my child. Birth imagery was used in Judaism. The rabbis called a convert to Judaism a child just born. Jesus said to Nicodemus, if you want to come to me, you must be what? Born again. A child just born. Uh, When Paul says Onesimus became my child in my imprisonment, he says that he led Onesimus to faith in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How many spiritual children do you have? How many spiritual children do you have? How many people would you call your child in the faith? On Wednesday, I was away leading a conference in Greensboro, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and so I wasn't here for first Wednesday worship. And um, I went up to my hotel room after we were finished Wednesday night, And I tuned in to watch the service. Something happened as I sat there and watched Wednesday night service here. From the baptisms of Gracie's dad, David, who last week after the second service walked up to me and said, I must know how to give my life to Jesus. Everything has changed. Things have changed at work. I no longer hang out with who I used to hang out with. I no longer talk to who I used to talk to because I have to be rid of sin in my life. And David gave his life to Jesus after Gracie, a high school kid, attended church by herself here for a year and a half. And and to watch him go into the water was absolutely thrilling. And to watch Adrian baptize him and to know Gracie's influence on him. And then to watch Leah and her sister go into the waters of baptism too and the others. It was thrilling. And I sat in my hotel room alone and tears started to flow down my face. I literally wept. Wendy called in the middle of it and I was snubbing when she called and she said, what in the world is wrong with you? that point Caleb was preaching David led worship and Adrian had baptized and for some reason being removed from all of that Dave being the first person I ever discipled in my life and Caleb being someone I'd spent time with that week to help him as he worked on his sermon and having worked with Adrian for so long and realizing the great things God could do and I didn't even need to be near the place was overwhelming to me and I wept. When, when you lead someone to Christ, they become, as Paul says, your very heart. Your very heart. The wife of the first person I ever led to Christ is in this service this morning. I imagine Jamie is working today. and She's nodding her head yes. I was a youth minister and Jamie would come every single day after school to play basketball. 
He was a good basketball player, and he'd come in that old makeshift gym and play ball every day. And when he'd come, I, I would uh, ask him at first if he knew Jesus, and he said no. And I explained to him how and asked if he wanted to, and he said no. And then probably two or three months would pass, and I would go, okay, it's time for another one of those conversations. And I would, as he walked in, say, Jamie, come in my office. He'd come in, and I'd sit down and say, Jamie, you know what I'm going to ask you. Have you thought about giving your life to Jesus? Yes. Are you ready to? No. I didn't press because the Spirit does that work, doesn't he? It was one year at Caswell. I happened to be down front praying over something in my own life when I felt a tap on the shoulder. And when I did, I looked around and it was Jamie. And Jamie said, it's tonight. And I turned and Jamie and I knelt right there at Caswell. And he is the first person I ever led to faith in Jesus Christ. Every time I see him, I remember that night. Paul says, I'm sending my very heart. After leading Onesimus to faith in Jesus, they have become close friends. And Paul fathered him spiritually, and Onesimus evidently helped take care of Paul's needs as Paul, now old, is shackled to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. We can't miss how Paul describes Onesimus. This will come into play later. Onesimus, the name, means useful. And sadly, it's a sad commentary on Roman culture, but they often named their slaves Onesimus, hoping they would live up to the name. And Paul says, I know Onesimus has been useless to you, but but now he's useful. He, he truly is living up to his name. But there's another potential play on words. And so I, I say the word potential on purpose because this, who knows, was Paul really trying to do this? So I want to say the word in Greek, uh, oh, uh, the useless, useful. You know how words can have uh, two meanings? I think in in in. Grammar in English, we call that like a double entendre. And, and so that's happening here. Uh, it, it, this word is used uh, to mean something else. So useless is akrestos in Greek. Useful is eukrestos. And if you're thinking, you're going, okay, krestos sounds a whole lot like Christos. Christos in Greek is Christ. Was Paul, was this a double play on words? I have no idea uh, if it was or not. And scholars just kind of do what I just did, just kind of scratch their head at that one and go, was Paul saying he was formerly a Christos without Christ, but now he is Christos. he's good with Christ. Is he saying both? He was formerly useless and now he's useful. He was formerly without Christ and now he is with Christ. However that may pan out, uh, the play on words is, is there. Onesimus is going from useless to useful, not only in an earthly realm, but because when Christ, uh, someone as big as he does, comes to live inside of you, you won't be the same, amen? 
something inside changes and Jesus Christ comes in and he takes over and he works and moves and the spirit begins to move into every corner and crevice of your life to where that you think differently and you talk differently and you act differently and you do, like we have a team who's headed to Wyoming this morning. I think they've made it to Colorado. They're headed to Wyoming today to serve God for this next week in missions. Fellowship appeals rather than asserts. This is so countercultural. Fellowship is willing, not compelled. Paul writes, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent, Philemon, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of, on your, but of your own accord. Or so let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to tell somebody who should have known that it was your birthday? And then they tell you happy birthday and it means nothing. <laughs> right? You're like, okay. <laughs> like, if you really loved me, you would have known. All right? So, so, so I shouldn't have to tell you it's my birthday. And now that I've told you it's my birthday, you're gushing about my birthday. But the only reason you are is because I told you. Or as parents, have you ever made your kids apologize? Those are so legit, aren't they? Say you're Sorry. Sorry. It means nothing, right? It's just words forced by compulsion out of your mouth, right? And the kid looks at the other kid and says, sorry. They just love to punch him in the face. They're doing it out of compulsion. Fellowship isn't that. Let me remind you of who is delivering this letter back to Colossians that we just finished. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and fellow uh, and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him who? Onesimus. Our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Do you know who's carrying this letter? To Philemon, Onesimus. And when Philemon reads it, who's sitting there? Onesimus. And the church that meets at Philemon's house, Paul addressed it to them too. And if Paul compels Philemon, it's like telling your kid to say sorry. If Paul says, all right, Philemon, you got to do this. And when you get there, Onesimus is going to have a letter. I, as apostle, command you to forgive him. And Philemon goes, all right, you're forgiven. How's Onesimus going to feel? Not good. Not good. You see, fellowship is willing, not compelled. There's a willingness to know and be known. There's a willingness to come together and lay aside some things and just be you and grow and be known. But there is more. God has been at work all along. You see, the events that have transpired to make this letter even possible are anything but a coincidence. And it leads us to the third reality that fellowship relates rather than dominates. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while. Who? Onesimus from Philemon. That you might have him back forever. Forever? Uh, there is no forever on this earth. 
So if Paul says you're going to have your slave Philemon back, or Onesimus back forever, it only can mean that they're going to be where, church? Heaven. That's what it means. The only way this can be forever is that they're in eternity together. That you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? At some point, Paul met Philemon, most likely while he was in Ephesus. He was there over two years and led him to the Lord. What are the odds that Paul would meet Philemon, lead him to Christ six years later, be in a Roman prison or under house arrest, shackled to a Roman prisoner, and somehow Onesimus, Philemon's slave, would come into contact with Paul. And when he would, they would uh, strike up a friendship. Paul would lead him to faith in Christ and learn that he had led uh, uh, Philemon also to faith in Christ. Who does stuff like that? God. God. It is God who does that. Can I say something? Uh, Wendy and I uh, lead a life group right now. We love leading our group. It's the greatest and most awkward group of folks I've ever been around. I mean, it just is. We embrace that. It's just a a bunch of young adults at different ages and stages in their lives. We love being together, love being together. It's always a risk to ask them to bring food (laughs) because you never know what you're going to get. Like like you just never know because that's not their gig yet is cooking and you, you never quite know what... What you're, what you're going to get. We, we did something recently with them that some of you may have heard of, Evelyn Langley introduced us to, called Javanese. And Javanese is where you have all of these different ingredients and they don't seem to go together. Uh, there's like a 10 or 11 of them, but you have to stack them all in together. Do you know several members of our life group ate before they came? Yes. And they went around and like grabbed a kernel of rice and did all of this. Why? Because they're young adults. It's just, it's just the place where they are in life. But one of the realities that we have learned of being together with them, especially at Mount and Wendy's stage in life where, where we are, is that there is a reality to their life where they just long for fellowship. Most of them are single, not all, but most of them are single. And so there's a desire for fellowship. And we have realized that only God could bring such a disparate group of people and bind our hearts together as he has. How, How could such different people come together and love one another? And when we don't meet, they they get together on their own. God can do that. Paul has two spiritual children. One is the slave. One is the owner of the slave. And for some reason, Onesimus didn't live up to useful. He turned out to be useless. He must have run away. But Paul says that was all God's work. Philemon, he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. I want to pause and offer just a word of hope this morning. A word of hope. And to apply this, I, I think, 
in the right way. God takes the long view. God takes the long view. Could I talk to parents who are estranged from your children? They've wandered away or deliberately walked away? Could I encourage you not to quit praying for them? Don't give up. God takes the long view. You you never know circumstances that he might orchestrate, coordinate, bring together to bring you and them back together in some way. God takes the long view. Some of you are in marriages that are barely surviving. Could I encourage you that that God is for your marriage? That God is fighting for you? That when you decide to marry one another, there is an unseen partner who fights for you in your marriage. God takes the long view. We tend to be short-sighted, don't we? But God, when he brought Paul and Philemon together in Ephesus knew that he would bring Paul and Onesimus together later and then all three of them would come together. Paul says, no longer as a bondservant, that's Onesimus, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul uses the same word to describe Onesimus as he used earlier to describe Philemon, a beloved brother. Fellowship has that quality. It levels the ground. When you circle up with others, all of a sudden you realize that the struggle you have in your marriage is is not unlike the one they have. This week I was with about 20 other pastors from around the state was tasked with leading them for three days. And what we discovered by Friday was that though we come from different places and different contexts, we have so much in common. As you start your life group this week, could I, I, could I ask you not to pretend? Could I ask you to be real? To, to worry not about what they may think of you, to be known. I promise you'll grow. Could I ask something else of you? Maybe you've never met together and this week is the first time. That can always be awkward and weird. Could I ask you not to judge? To go into that space, meet people for the first time. Don't draw the proverbial conclusions based on appearances about who they are and where they've been and what they've done. You 
years ago I came across this quote. It actually just occurred to me as I was standing down there as we were singing this morning. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the will to win. We drew a circle that took him in. We live in a country riddled by small circles and pointing fingers. We live in a country discipled by cable news that shows us how to scream at one another, blame one another. We live in a country that worships power, that asserts dominance. But what if Paul the Apostle appeals rather than asserts? What if fellowship relates rather than dominates? And what if fellowship is willing, not compelled? Wow. I think the church would be different, wouldn't we? You would say, well, well what would be, us, be our center? Christ in us. That mystery, the hope of glory. Rallying around him for the sake of the gospel. And seeing people come to faith in him. A couple months ago, I was in Haywood. Our staff went over for a day to serve on a house, we just had a team there Thursday. We'll have one there this Friday. If you've not gone, you ought to go. A gentleman walked up. I don't know who he was, but he was talking to Rob, who's the on-the-ground leader there. Rob told me later he needed him to grant clearance across some land to get to a place where they had to build a home and uh, evidently their bridge had gone out and they needed his and they had to afford a, a stream or a creek or something. And I overheard that gentleman say to Rob, everybody's left but you. When this happened, everybody came storming in, but they're all gone. And the only people left are North Carolina Baptists and we wouldn't know where we'd be if you weren't here. That's the power of fellowship, isn't it? To 
just come together. Draw a circle a bit wider than it was when you got together and let God work. Father, thank you for Paul's humility. Thank you that he humbly owned his age, his place. No glory in writing about being chained to a Roman guard and being 10 years beyond the average age. We read other places that Paul couldn't see well. That there was something that so nagged him that he prayed three times for God to remove it, but God didn't. You didn't, God. You told him that your grace was sufficient. God, if we're going to reach McDowell County, surrounding counties, lost people in Haywood, people in Wyoming and Africa and Ecuador, and Black Mountain as we plant church there. We must be appealing, loving gospel people. In a world that constantly draws us from that, please draw us to it. In Jesus' name, amen.